The Athletic. Good morning. Welcome to the briefing show from The Athletic. It's Friday, April 21st. I'm Tim Spears, and today we're asking how do Man United bounce back after their dismal defeat to Sevilla? Yeah, you sort of wonder, it's the 52nd game of the season of Man United. Is the mental and physical toll showing itself? What's the latest on Juventus' punishments and how does that impact Spurs? Right now, it feels as if Paratici is banned from football everywhere. And can Arsenal avoid complacency when the Premier League title race continues tonight? It's harsh to say it was an arrogance or it was too easy for them, but I think it probably did get a bit too comfortable. This is The Briefing Show from The Athletic. De Gea, oh, that always looked likely. Is it in? It is! And it's over! It's done. It's finished. Manchester United are exiting the Europa League. Manchester United are out of the Europa League after losing 3-0 to Sevilla at the quarter-final stage. Eric Ten Hag's team had been 2-0 up in the first leg at Old Trafford last week, but contrived to draw that game 2-2. And then a series of defensive errors in Seville last night contributed to a chastening 3-0 defeat in the second leg and a 5-2 loss on aggregate. It's the sixth season in a row that United have seen their hopes of lifting a European trophy ended by Spanish opposition. And amid mounting injury problems, they must now rouse themselves for an FA Cup semi-final against Brighton at Wembley on Sunday. The Athletics' Manchester United correspondent Laurie Whitwell was in Seville. Laurie, context of the season, I know it's hard to sum up right now, but how damaging is this defeat and where does it kind of leave the season at the moment? I think it's really disappointing from a Man United perspective. I don't think it's damaging in the sense of derailing anything necessarily, although I think a lot of United fans have got their hopes up for a Europa League trophy and, and kind of add into that feel-good factor about the season. But it's a concern that they wilted again, that players that you've had um, issues with previously have, uh, have failed to perform in this uh, high-stakes match. David De Gea, Jason Sancho, Harry Maguire having having problems. Um, so they're kind of long-term issues that I think the club might have to address. And yeah, I mean, it it's comes you know a few days before the uh, game against Brighton in the FA Cup. Will this have any kind of deflating uh, impact on the mood uh, going into that game? That, that's that's one question to answer. But yes, yeah, so it's, it's a I think just the fact that Sevilla struggled in the league and United have had good matches against Spanish opposition already this season, the disappointment comes there. The fact that they, they felt like they should have got past this team and then got into the semi-finals. I mean, obviously, this as well as a trophy, this was a route to Champions League qualification as well. And in the league, you know, that's by no means sewn up. There's also the Brighton game, the FA Cup on Sunday, as you say. Can they rouse themselves, you know, given their form, given their injuries, can they rouse themselves to achieve what they want to in, in the next few weeks? I think they can do. They've, they've bounced back from setbacks earlier this season. You know, Liverpool uh, 7-0, <laughs> that was a torturous one. They managed to come back from that in a positive way. Newcastle, again, they, they won matches after they'd uh, been defeated up at St James's Park. So they have responded well to disappointment. But as you touched on there, the injuries, are they sort of creeping back in? Luke Shaw's only just come back from a hamstring injury and he had a tight, uh, a tight hamstring and, and he sort of looked like he was holding his leg. Marcus Rashford came off the bench probably a little bit sooner than Eric and I would have liked, ideally. It's kind of like, you know, breaking case of emergency, I think, for, for Shaw and Rashford who were just back from injuries. Um, Marshall went off with a knock in the second half as well. 
so, yeah, you sort of wonder, it's the 52nd game of the season for United. Is the mental and physical toll showing itself? Obviously, David De Gea's performance really comes under the spotlight. In terms of throwing it forward, Laurie, long term, do you think this sort of casts more of a doubt on his status as United's number one? It comes at a really bad time. I mean, before the game, Eric Tenag was asked about De Gea because all the indications we're told is that they're having contract talks, yeah, they've offered him a new deal and they, they all think it's going to be sorted. Uh, and Eric Tenag's words back to the question were that he was a multifunctional goalkeeper, that he really could do it all. Yeah, he couldn't do it tonight. I mean, his, his pass out to Harry Maguire was the wrong choice. And then the error for the third goal was just calamitous. It looked like he was kind of coming out of his area to try and sort of show that he could do that sweep for keeping and just got it all wrong absolute calamity but the thing is United don't have the money I don't think to go out and spend big on a goalkeeper their priority is centre forward uh, they'd have to sell uh, quite a few players I think, to raise the funds uh, to get round uh, financial fair play regulations so goalkeeper isn't you know high up in the list of priorities Sevilla will face Juventus in the semi-finals of the Europa League after Juve drew one all with Sport in Lisbon last night, winning 2-1 in aggregate. And it was an eventful evening for the most successful club in Italy. Before they kicked off in Portugal, the 15-point deduction imposed on them earlier in this season after an investigation into their transfer dealings was reversed on appeal by the Italian Olympic Committee. Juventus had denied fixing their balance sheets by inflating transfer fees And the case isn't over yet, as it will now return to the Italian Football Federation Appeals Court, which handed out the initial punishment. But, for now, Juve are on track to qualify for the Champions League, after moving back to third in Serie A, thanks to getting those 15 points back, while AC Milan and Inter, who meet next month in the semi-finals of this season's competition, are pushed down the table to fifth and sixth, respectively. Here's the Athletics' Italian football correspondent, James Horncastle, with the latest. Juventus... The 15-point penalty that they were punished with for alleged transfer irregularities back in the middle of January, well, it's been suspended because Juventus' legal team, they were presenting an appeal before the Italian Olympic Committee's Board of Guarantors in Rome, just outside the Stadio Olimpico on Wednesday and Thursday. And the Board of Guarantors decided to suspend that 15-point penalty. Now, what does that mean? It means that the minus 15 that Juventus have had next to them since the middle of January has all of a sudden disappeared and Juventus have gone up into third place. When I say it is a suspended 15-point penalty, what that means is the Board of Guarantors has returned it to sender. They're saying the Federal Court of Appeal will have another hearing. They'll have another go at ruling on this case. So at some stage in May after the Board of Guarantors has given its written reasons, the Federal Court of Appeal will decide whether to reimpose the 15-point penalty, reduce the 15-point penalty, or annul it. This case was not just about a points penalty being handed to a football club as punishment. It was about the bans that were issued to Juventus executives past and present. Take, for example, Andrea Agnelli, the former chairman of Juventus, been in charge of the club for the last decade. He appealed against his ban and his appeal was unsuccessful. It's going to rumble and rumble on in the never-ending soap opera that is Syria. There was more news involving Juventus yesterday when their former sporting director Fabio Paratici lost an appeal against a 30-month ban from Italian football as part of an investigation into alleged false accounting Paratici now works at Tottenham Hotspur as their managing director of football, but stepped back from duties last month after the ban was extended worldwide by FIFA. 
His appeal has been rejected by the Italian Olympic Committee's Board of Guarantors and it means his ban from football remains in place pending further hearings. The Athletics' Jack Pickbrook is here to tell us what this means for the future of Spurs and their front office. Jack, there's obviously a lot going on here and a lot still to be decided, but can you outline what this means for Spurs in particular right now? Well, right now on Thursday evening, Paratici is still in place as Managing Director of Football, but it does feel at the moment as if his position is untenable because the Italian Olympic Committee have rejected his up his appeal and that in effect they have upheld the 30-month ban from Italian football which the Italian FA gave Paratici in January which of course was extended across the world by FIFA last month so right now it feels as if Paratici is banned from football everywhere and everyone is waiting to see when Tottenham break their silence I imagine there'll be a Tottenham statement if it's not late Thursday night it will have to be Friday morning where hopefully that they will be able to shed some light on their position on this. And what about Paratici in particular? Where does he go from here in terms of an appeal himself, in terms of his employment at Spurs? My understanding of the situation is that Paratici has run out of road. There is nowhere else for him to appeal. I believe, having having looked at the document, that Juventus can appeal to the Italian Federal Court of Appeal over their points deduction. But it doesn't seem that Paratici has that same avenue open to him. I think Paratici's run out of options. So I think he is staring this 30-month ban in the face, which of course means that he will be he will be unable to return to football until what, I mean, I guess we'll have to be out for all of 2023 and 2024 and then we'll be eligible to return to work in 2025 if he sits out the whole thing. So it's obviously a huge blow to his career and his reputation. And then obviously in the middle of all this, you know, Spurs are looking for a new head coach, which would be Paratici's job to identify that person. Has this already affected this process? Presumably it will now continue to do so. So Spurs' line on this has always been that the head coach search could continue without Paratici, even though he set the ball rolling by drawing up the shortlist in March for potential head coaches for next season. I gather it's still at the due diligence stage, but clearly they would want Paratici there for the for the final stage of the interview process, just like he was two years ago. Uh, I'm sure that managers who they would interview would want to know what Paratici's situation was, who was going to be in charge of the football side of the club next season and beyond. So I'm sure it will continue because it has to continue, but it's clearly a big spanner in the works to lose the man who's meant to be heading the whole operation right in the middle of the process when Tottenham is still no closer to having a new manager. Arsenal are back in Premier League action tonight. It's first v 20th at the Emirates, with the Gunners facing relegation-threatened Southampton on the back of two damaging draws in the last two weeks against Liverpool and West Ham, with Mikel Arteta's team two goals up in both games before contriving to draw both 2-2. French defender William Saliba, a key part of Arsenal's team this season, missed both those games with a back injury, and Arteta yesterday said the 22-year-old is taking longer than expected to return to action. The Athletics' Jordan Campbell joins us now to preview another important night in the Premier League title race. Jordan, Arteta says uh, Saliba's going to be out for a bit longer than expected. How much of an issue is this injury for Arsenal? Yeah, Arteta said that he's not progressing as quickly as as they thought. Um, It seemed like the back injury was something that they thought they could maybe manage and, you know, deal with the pain as it came and went. So maybe set him out games like Southampton, but bring him back for the, the bigger games like Man City Newcastle. But, you know, that since ever since the Sporting Lisbon game, when he went off, he's, he's been unavailable. And it looks unlikely that he's going to be back for City. If last week he wasn't on the grass and this week he's not even able, 
he's not anywhere near being close. So um, I think it's a huge blow. Uh, it's kind of felt like the sky's fallen in a bit this week for Arsenal, despite only having drawn two games, such as the need for perfection in this title race. What, what's the sort of mood from the fans and the club you know, this week ahead of uh, the game against Southampton? Well, I think that's the, the, the difficulty when trying to, to judge this Arsenal team and how significant these slip-ups are. You know, usually you would say these are the sort of things that happen. A draw at Anfield's maybe a good result in another time, but I think the West Ham one, because it repeated a pattern, it feels like everyone's on edge. Um, is this the start of a collapse? Um, is this them choking? You know, the words that we've come to associate with teams in the modern climate where no one can just have a bad half of football. It's got to be some sort of existential crisis or some character, you know, terminal character default uh, deficiency. So I think um, I think if Arsenal can bounce back with a resounding win, which, you know, everything they've done this season would suggest that they could go and put a few past Southampton, um, I think it would then calm things down ahead of Man City. Complacency is very much the buzzword this week for Arsenal, you know, after letting those two goal leads slip. How do they avoid that against the worst team in the league. You would like to think it wouldn't be an issue, but I mean, West Ham's fans were literally booing them at 2-0 down. Um, and then Arsenal sort of just, I think because West Ham showed so little ambition, it just became like a training game. And because they let the tempo get so low that when a team then got on top of you, it's difficult with a crowd to then lift your levels back up. So I think that's probably the big lesson is that it's harsh to say it was an arrogance or it was too easy for them because, you know, human, human beings at the end of the day. But I think it probably did get a bit too comfortable. You know, maybe this might be the game where they don't go up 2-0 in the first 10 minutes. Maybe they need to grind it out. So I think fans need to be patient with them and not get too agitated if things aren't coming and the game's not wrapped up because we've seen that you can be 2-0 up in 10 minutes or you can be 0-0 at 60 minutes. But, you know, the, the end result might actually be better. You're listening to The Briefing Show from The Athletic. Elsewhere last night, West Ham made it through to their second European semi-final in two seasons with a 4-1 victory over Belgian side Ghent in the Europa League Conference League, 5-2 on aggregate. David Moyes' team will play AZ Alkmaar in the semi-finals, while Fiorentina play Baal in the other semi after they beat Lech Poznan and Nice respectively. And also in the Europa League, we mentioned earlier about Sevilla and Juventus who will meet in the semis while the other two semi-finalists are Roma and Bayer Leverkusen, who also advanced on Thursday night. Now for tonight's televised games, you can catch Arsenal v Southampton on Sky Sports in the UK and USA Network in the States. And league and leaders PSG are also in action against Angers on BT Sport 2 in the UK and Bean Sports in the US. That's all from us. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, make sure you take advantage of our latest offer. Go to theathletic.com forward slash TBS and it's $1.99 a month for your first year. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and if you could drop us a review, that'd be great too. I'm Tim Spears, your producer is Mike Zimmerman and The Briefing Show will be back on Monday. The Athletic.